two seconds. Five, no, five. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to this Saturday's Five Properties Show. And this morning we are talking about rigorous referencing, Kim. So you're the ideal person to be on with us this morning because this is what you do, Kim. And uh, we are going to talk about basically rigorous referencing being the secret sauce uh, for trouble through tenancies and peace of mind. So is that your cat? Yeah, so a little <laughs> disclosure. She is fine. She's just very noisy. <laughs> so apologies. So we've got a special guest this morning. Yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah, rigorous referencing is so important um, from the whole process of lettings. I think that initial starting point needs to be done correctly in the first place. I mean, giving somebody your keys to your rental property is a really big deal. And you want to be as sure as you, as you can be that whoever you choose turns out to be reliable and trustworthy and, and ultimately trouble free. I mean, it, it will more than likely be somebody's biggest asset. So to hand over keys to somebody really is a big deal. And um, the referencing process to find that right person is so important. And you all know all too well about that, Kevin, I believe. Yes, this is something I carry out on a weekly basis to make sure we're putting the right tenants into our properties. Obviously, it's very hard for landlords just now to get the wrong tenant out. So we have to carry out all the checks that we can in the first place to make sure we are putting the right person in in the first place. Yeah, yeah, and that's a good point, Karen. It is very difficult at the moment with legislation and the restrictions. If you've got the wrong tenant in there, it is very difficult to, to get them out of the, the property if, if that's what you need to do. I know obviously serving notice and evicting a tenant is worst case scenario in the last resort, but in some cases it's necessary. Um, but if you do the right process in the beginning, you might not have to deal with that situation because it can be quite tricky, especially with how things are at the moment with um, lettings uh, legislation and the, the rules around serving notice on tenancies. But for complete, complete peace of mind, a thorough background check will give you the confidence that your tenant earns enough to live in the property, has a history of paying their rent on time, it's that they're financially stable and secure enough to be taking on a tenancy. They'll ultimately look after your investment because, like I said, it will more than likely be someone's biggest asset and uh, you want to be sure that they're going to look after that. And, and they won't be a nuisance to neighbours and things as well. That's a good point because the part of the referencing process, it's not all just on paper, Kevin, is it? Exactly. That's the thing. You're, it's matching up somebody, how you perceive somebody from the viewing as well as on paper. Obviously, we've had people that could be great on paper, but you just don't get that right impression from them when you're doing the viewing and vice versa. Somebody that could be great from the viewing, but then when you carry out this referencing, there's some skeletons in the closet there. So, um, and it is, it's about, it's never a case of putting the first person into your rental property. It's always about trying to find the right person for it. Even if that takes a little bit longer, you're better off waiting and putting the right person in than the first person. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's a balancing act between the uh, the paper side, the paper side of things and also meeting a person and getting the right feel. Now, just to be clear here, it's not to discriminate or stereotype people or anything like that. Because sometimes you'll have a property and, and somebody will be great on paper and they'll come to view and you think you're not right for this property. But it doesn't mean that they're not right for another property. And that might there might be a multitude of things that, that they contribute to that. It might be that the type of neighbours that are there and maybe the person that's renting the property has lived there for a long time and they have a lot of respect for who lives next door. And you just want somebody that's going to fit into, do you know what I mean? So you, you have to find that balance not. But it's not, like I say, to discriminate against any particular person. Um, they might be suitable in another property elsewhere. And do you know what, it's, it's, it's finding that, as I say, that balance of nice. um, the person and in person and on paper and the financial background and things. But and whenever like, you speak to that, sorry, Karen, what you were going to say? I'd like to say as well, obviously, it, when, exactly. It, there might just be a case of they're not right for that property, but if they've passed everything else and they have given you quite a good perception of them in the past the reference and you could find them suitable for another property and we yeah. come across that plenty of times when we've got multiple suitable applications for a property ultimately only one person can get it but that's not to say that other people wouldn't have been suitable for it so it's beneficial to then obviously in our situation where we have multiple properties to be able to potentially find them something else which has worked quite well for us in the past I mean we have had suitable people for them yeah that's something that we're seeing a lot more of 
lately because obviously the uh, demand is far outstripping the supply of property that we have and we've got multiple um potential tenants that are that would be great for property but like you say only one person could get one property um so it's good to carry them on to things that are in the pipeline and coming up and, and that as well and that's something that we do but as i was going to say whenever whenever you do speak to landlords um and when they talk about things that have gone wrong with their tenant or or the tenancy or and the story behind that um always begins with a lack of something at the beginning or the pre-tenancy checks and things that should have been flagged up uh, as potential problems that maybe would have avoided um, th them being in this situation. And and we see that, we see people coming to us and saying, look, I've got this tenant and this, and the whole story, I mean, you unravel the story, things were not done at the beginning and, and, and they put the wrong person in the property. And that is a very common thing. So this week we are going to talk about um, the kind of behind the scenes what goes on to a really rigorous referencing check and see what to do and why only the best tenants will pass the proper tests to um, obtain a tenancy we do it i mean can you do it on a daily basis but as something that um as a skill and it's something that you need to kind of to hone over um a, a period of time to make sure that you're looking for these red flags and what these red flags are and um, we we take it as second nature and just expect like just you forget obviously once you learn it and do it all the time, and when people who are not as experienced and maybe self managing things as well come to us, and we could tell straight away when they're telling us the story like okay that 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 you know so that's what we're going to cover today. Um, so first and foremost, Karen, what's the most important thing? So one of the most important checks that you can carry out are credit and financial checks. So yeah. these are such an important thing. Before you even consider renting out your property to anyone, you need to know that your tenant is financially stable and all the checks were carried out. So there's various checks that can be done to ensure someone's financial stability. So these include things such as credit checks. So credit check everyone that will be on the tenancy or staying at the property. So this is something I've come across and somebody's like, oh, they're not going to be on the tenancy, so I'm like, no, we still need to credit check them and reference them out. We have to check every adult that will be staying in that property. So you're making sure that everyone is there that is obviously credit worthy of being and staying in the property. You could have one person that's completely fine and then you could reference the other person and they have adverse credit. Yeah. So these include obviously looking for CCJs, counter court judgments, default notices or undisclosed addresses for any tenancy application. So getting the last three months of tenants' latest bank statements as well to see whether they're consistent in paying their rent, they're not in their overdraft, or they don't have any debt or failed payments. Now, credit checks are such an important one. I had somebody, well, we come across them multiple times. We do have a section that says, do you have any adverse credit? Nine yeah. times out of 10, people don't, so it's fine. But the people that take no, and then you pull up, they have CCJs, bankruptcy, IVAs, it happens so but if you're not upfront about it it's very detrimental to your application yeah and i think if people are not going to be transparent and truthful or upfront about their financial position at the beginning at the early stages in the beginning of any application then it really is a red flag um you, like you say on applications and things you've given that opportunity to disclose anything there's people out there that have had trouble in the past financially and things and, and, and a lot of people and that's just a part of life and that's not to say that you're not going to be accepted for a property. But if you could be obviously upfront with what that situation was, how it come around, and how you rectifying it or rectified it, then there shouldn't be any there shouldn't be any problem about you your application proceeding. Um, but you really need to be as transparent and upfront about things like that as possible. Because if you're getting uh, if you're having a proper reference check done on you, <laughs> you can't avoid it. It will show. Um, so to not just red flag. Let's talk about bank statements, Karen. That's an interesting one. Um, did you see three months bank statements? Yeah, so ideally you'll be looking for about three months of bank statements. So this should include showing their income going into it. It's also a good way to check they're not significantly living in their overdraft either. Obviously people slip into their overdraft, but there's a difference between slipping into it and somebody that is living like thousands of pounds in their overdraft. Yeah. That's ideally, it doesn't look the best for like a financial point of view. Ideally, you want somebody that is staying in their credit side of their overdraft that has a stable income coming in. 
obviously people have different finance options available to them so whether that's they're paying car payments or credit cards but ideally it's looking to see that there's no kind of like major gambling issues going on there um, and obviously yeah. like I say they're not significantly on your overdraft. Sorry, just laughing at your cut. Um, so bank statements so now I know this is something that comes up and some people don't want to show you their bank statements and I mean what does that tell you? It does give a red flag so ultimately, this is obviously I understand people's reservations about it. It's their bank statements. It's something that's very personal to them. But ultimately, this is a big legal decision that you're going into. And likewise, for if you're applying for a mortgage, you would have to give your bank statements. If you're applying for any property, you ideally need to give your bank statements for it because it does, like you say, it does kind of what allow the ones that do potentially have red flags or people that send their bank statements with big black markers through some transactions. It's like, mm, yeah. what have you got going on there because ultimately we're not there to assess every single purchase that you're making I mean some of the okay. transactions that you see people like to put funny references on them so you see all sorts when you're going through it but ultimately we're looking at it from a professional perspective to make sure that you are going to be a suitable tenant not to judge where you're spending your money as an application process like anything else and um, the credit check I mean what we can't just obviously credit check people without their consent Exactly. So before credit checking anyone, we need to get their written consent and tell them that a search will be carried out on their credit report, although it won't affect their credit score. Yeah, that's an important thing as well. It doesn't affect your credit score. And our applications has all that laid out and then they sign and data and things at the bottom in agreement for us to carry out the checks that, that we need to do in order to obviously process our application. So it is obviously a, a, a potential tenant's consent that we check their bank statements and, and look into their financial history and check their address history and things like that. Because um, some people do feel it's a, a bit of an invasion of their privacy, but I mean, it's like any other application or, or even a job interview as well. You know, you need to be open to be credit checked and have references. And uh, we're going to talk about landlord references, uh, previous landlord references as we go on. And that's another important one as well. But that is not done without a person's consent, of course. And ultimately, if you've got nothing to hide then there shouldn't be an issue with providing these documents and obviously proving that you are a suitable tenant for a property yeah so i think the next one as we talk about the you've, you've talked about credit and financial check i think income and, and employment is an, a really important one as well now employment checks are essential uh, to know that your tenant is actually working they could just, they could tell you you're working but you need to you need to actually clarify that um and they have the role that they actually say they have and earn the uh, the money that they say that they earn and have enough to pay for the rent. Um, and that means, like we said about uh, the bank statements, we could also ask for three months pay slips plus an employer's reference confirming their job title, um, how long they've been at the, the, their current job, um, their salary, and whether the role is permanent or subject to a probationary period. That's something that I know you come up against sometimes, Karen, where you have people who have maybe just started a job. What does that pose an issue for you? So it is obviously, it doesn't, I wouldn't say it poses an issue, but one thing that we'll cover obviously during this process is the benefits of potentially having a guarantor. So yep. to when somebody's initially started their job, obviously most jobs do come with an initial probationary period, usually typically about three months. Mm -hmm. So obviously having somebody that maybe has a guarantor in place just gives that extra bit of security if you do have somebody that's starting a new job and it is something we come across a lot people are relocating here for work they're changing jobs they've got a good salary that'll be coming in for that so like I say a guarantor can be a beneficial way of just giving a landlord an extra bit of security in that situation if somebody's not been in if somebody is just starting a new job yeah, because we do get a lot of people that come that are coming here and working, and, and obviously they've just started their, their their job here, so they're only the only a matter of weeks in, or sometimes even prior to the start as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so that could be an option just to to um, safeguard um, things and reassure the landlord and us that they've got a backup if things were not to work out. Another thing is uh, trading accounts and tax returns and things from a previous financial year if the person is self-employed or re request getting uh, lost in general emails and things, um, then you need to have all that in, in, uh, in order and, and being able to review that properly if they're self-employed. So 
self-employed could be difficult uh, if they don't have that information to prove what they're actually earning. Maybe their accountant's reference or something uh, for further information is maybe needed if they can't do that. Do you get a lot of applicants who are self-employed and are unable to provide you with what you need, Karen? Typically, most people are employed, but we do get quite a few that do come through as self-employed. So it is making sure that, like you say, all your tax returns are in up to date. You can provide bank statements that show that your income is coming in and it's stable. I think that's the biggest kind of concern when it comes, or reservation, I'd say, when it comes to self-employed, yeah. having that stable income coming in, because obviously it can fluctuate a bit more as opposed to somebody that has like an annual salary that's coming in on a month-to-month basis. But um, it's obviously not to discount self-employed people. It's just to make sure that they do have the documentation that proves that they are financially stable for it, just as anybody else would be. Yeah, and, and feedback. If they've got an accountant dealing with things, a feedback from them and also their bank statements and things as well will back that up. Um, so that's a good thing. When we talk about the, the, um, the employment checks and things as well, you need to make sure you've got the exact details correct and that may be like the contact details for the actual employer um, or somebody who will be providing a reference and that just avoids confusion and um, delay with a move-in as well. Is that something that comes up where you maybe have a delay with receiving certain information or maybe some information you've been provided is slightly incorrect? Uh, I, would, silent, so it's obviously <laughs> I would say about 80% of referencing is chasing up documents that you have not received in the first place. Really? Wow, that's a lot. We make it very clear as to what we need. So we need obviously their application form, their proof of their income, as we've just covered, their ID checks, which we'll cover in shortly as well, and obviously their proof of current address. So there's various initial documents that we need to be able to start this process. Some people send you their supporting documents and not the actual application form or vice versa. You'll get the form and not their supporting documents. So uh, it makes me very happy when somebody sends me an email and they have everything in it and it's all just nice and clearly there. Because, yeah, as I would say, I spend a lot of time chasing up documents that I need. And that's just in the initial stage of it. Then obviously when we have all those documents in, it's then starting the actual reference and process such as the income checks, the landlord reference, up with the credit check, everything that goes into it that is you require, it's quite a lengthy process. So if someone's not giving you these clear details in the first place, it prolongs that process. And whereas if you have somebody that's just given you all their documents as requested in the first place within that kind of initial period following the viewing, it makes it so much quicker. I can have a whole application processed and a landlord's approval sometimes in less time than I've got just somebody's all of their paperwork in that I need. Yeah, I mean, I've seen your delight in the office when you have requested things <laughs> to people and they give you all in the one hour and it's like, here you go, Karen, this is it. And it's just like, let's process it then and see. And but when you're having to go back and say, oh, you've not added this and they still need this. And do you know, it, it can it could then be a, a back and forward. And it's not that you've not clearly, because we, we do clearly outline, this is what we need from you um, at the beginning. Um, yeah, but, I don't think I can make it any like simpler than it is. It's literally bullet points. This is what I need. Yeah. And the, oh, the amount of times that I'm time I spend chasing up documents. So I, I think, uh, and and with the current um, the current situation with the uh, private sector and, and the availability of property and things, if you are looking to secure a property, the best advice we could give you is have everything in place. Do you know, if you want to know what exactly you would need to have ready to hand over to a letting agent or, or or even like ourselves to process an application faster then please touch base. But obviously, we're going to cover it all today. But um, have all your ducks in a row, have things in place, and it will streamline things so much. Um, in yeah, terms of- a whole show on that before, like what you I will think, need yeah, when I'm live. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just to obviously. And, it, and it's, I mean, it helps us, but it also helps tenants as well. We have so many people come to us and, and the frustration because they're, they're finding it so difficult to secure a property. And we totally sympathise with that. But the only way the only way we could advise you is to to get through that process better is to be more prepared ahead of time. And if, if like I say, if anybody's unsure of what that actually is, then speak to myself, speak to Karen. We'll, we'll happily advise you on that. Um, yeah. So what I will well, touch on just before on while well, we're still on the income side as well is obviously when it comes to providing like your pay slips, your bank statements, mm -hmm. make sure they cl like clearly demonstrate what your income is. I've yeah. had ones previously and they've 
I don't know how they ended up getting accepted for another property just this week, but I was like, I'm not sure how, because the documentation I'd been provided for their income didn't match up. And I couldn't provide, and there was a significant difference in what they were saying they were getting versus what I could demonstrate they were getting. So if you are applying for a property and you're providing your proof of income, make sure it does match up to what you are actually saying and you can clearly demonstrate that from your paperwork. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a really important point because if I, if I was you and I was looking at, you're telling me you earn this much, but and I'm looking at your bank statements and things and you can't really back that up, then you can't really go any further than that until they could, they could really prove that so that's a that's an important point and, and what i was going to say and coming back to income as well i mean generally the the rule of thumb um for a long time as we've looked at earnings to be at least two and a half times the rent of the property that they're taking on now rents and things are obviously increasing and rising and um they're rising faster than sometimes salaries and things depending on what you earn so is it, is it that you focus a lot more on what they actually have as disposable income and, and their actual affordability for the property or do you still always as a base use the two and a half times as a initial i would use that as a bare minimum ideally yeah. like you say the way things are rising just now like when you think about it obviously when we see it does make it out like so depending on somebody's salary when you work yeah. out what they can afford rent wise when I'm working out, I'm like, I don't know how somebody's meant to be able to pay the rent off of that salary, mm -hmm. as well as their bills and just general just life. Say, like you take that into consideration their other outgoings. Yeah, exactly. So ideally, you want that as like the bare minimum. Mm -hmm. You want somebody that has, as you say, more disposable income for it. Yeah. Um, just obviously ensure, especially if somebody's got children, like that income's having to not only look after them, but other people as well. I so think it's well because, because like you say, incomes. yeah, what you say about uh, utility costs and, and food costs and everything's went up. So if they've, I mean, fair enough, they might qualify for the two and a half, but then what does that leave them in disposable income? Are they actually going to be able to live? Mm -hmm. um, and that's something you really need to take into consideration and, and maybe educate the person to that as well, because they may think, oh, I've got enough uh, to cover the rent, but then how are you going to live after that? And because if, if you don't think about that, further down the line in the tenancy, that's going to be an issue. And we have it as well with obviously people that are in receipt of like universal credit or benefits and they can be applying for properties that are like well in excess of what for example like the two bedroom housing allowance would be yeah. so it's I, I actually had this conversation with somebody yesterday and it's just explaining like look this is what you would get for your typical entitlement for it this mm -hmm. is ideally what you need to be looking for because if you're looking for a property say for example your benefit comes in at 473 pound which is a two-bed housing allowance but the rent on a property is 550 or 650 that you're applying for. It's a significant shortfall that you're going to have to pay in a top up for your rent. And from a landlord's perspective, it's not a very safe bet if it exceeds the housing allowance significantly. It's different if it's maybe like £25 or like a smaller amount. But when you have mm -hmm. such a significant difference, obviously, so it's it's knowing kind of what your financial situation is. And applying for properties that do suit that because ultimately you don't want to get your hopes up being like oh i really want that property but ultimately you're not in a financial position whether you're on in receipt of benefits or you're working it's yeah. knowing kind of where you stand financially for applying for properties to make sure you're not getting your hopes up for ones that you don't meet the income for yeah and i mean for myself and i know you as well i mean people on benefits there's no stereotype there if, if they're eligible and, and they have the income to support their self in that property and cover the rent and their outgoings and things then fine i mean i, I don't see it being a problem at all um that's been sometimes guarantors come in as well though um, but yeah that's an important point so let's talk about previous landlord checks kim and how yes. important they are so one of the most revealing ways to gauge a tenant's reliability is to ask their previous landlord for a reference, but it's important to get the full story. So written references generally just confirm the rent's up to date and paid on time. So it's important to specifically ask a landlord if they would recommend the tenant. So I know when we were sending out, land, on you go. <laughs> I was just gonna say, so, and it is something that we asked and it's like, do you recommend the tenant? But 
and we spoke about this a lot of times before and it's like sometimes um landlords will give you a good reference to get rid of a tenant <laughs> so that's something make sure that the this is when the bank statements come in to make sure yeah. they are paying their rent <laughs> yeah. so make sure that the the glowing reference you get from a previous landlord is genuine Yes, and there's various questions to ask. It's not just a case of do they pay their rent on time. So, um, for example, I'll probably miss out something because there's a few, a few that we ask. But things such as obviously, is the rent paid on time? Have they looked after the property? Is there any record of antisocial behaviour? Um, obviously, would you recommend them? There's multiple different questions to ask. One of the ones I find quite beneficial is what is their current rent as well to obviously justify because yeah. we have some that potentially have like you could have somebody that's been paying a rent of like 350 pound and then they're applying for a property that's about a thousand pound i've seen that one recently and i'm like how are yeah, you justifying you, the jump between the two a jump yeah yeah so it's good a good insight into obviously kind of what their current situation's been both obviously looking after the property and financially if they've been able to keep up to date with their recent payments for it it's quite good obviously if you've got somebody that has been paying similar to what the rent is that they're applying for it's like, okay, that's fine. They've been paying this for a significant amount of time. So obviously it does put them in quite a good stance for a property they're applying for. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so there's various questions to ask when you're going through that. But ultimately, they not maybe not all are, but landlords must be traceful in their comments. But if they do, as you say, want to get rid of a problem tenant, they may exclude some details that could delay getting their property back. Yeah, yeah, it does happen, unfortunately. But I mean, landlords really need to be truthful when to to be untruthful to an, an agent or another landlord to pass on a problem tenant is, is really just to me so unethical i mean especially if they're if they're in um a lot of arrears or have really damaged a property and and yeah you really need to be truthful i think in all aspects yes so it does make it essential to get a previous landlord's phone number from the tenant so you can follow up in a conversation and often, obviously, this gives you a bit more information than what you potentially could have from an email. But what I will say is a good way to check it is sometimes you do get, obviously, it's different with an agency because, I mean, around here, you kind of know most of the agents anyway, or you could at least, like, Google them to make sure yeah. they are credible. However, if you do have, like, a private landlord and you're unsure of the details, maybe a tenant's just giving you their friend's number as their landlord. <laughs> so um, you can always check that, obviously, you should typically have their three months there are three years worth of previous addresses mm -hmm. so you can check their current address on landlord registration to make sure the person that they have advised as the landlord does actually match up with the landlord registration and you are getting a credible reference as opposed to just as i say a landlord reference yeah yeah but i mean not ev not everyone will have a previous landlord can Exactly. And we come across this very often. I mean, we're in a market just now where there's a lot of people that are maybe just entering the rental market and um, people that have come from like parents properties or people that have even owned their homes before. And they are now decided to go into rentals instead, whether that's just obviously the way the interest rates are going or maybe it's a separation. So there's so many different circumstances that we come across when we are going through referencing. So it is making sure your process accommodates all, all sources of potential tenants yeah and then if, if they're in that position then that's where maybe guarantors again come in as well guarantors exactly yeah people that especially have like maybe come from abroad as well um there's some i mean i had one recently and it was i had two applications for it and one of them was in french and the other one was in polish and i was trying to convert these to actually make <laughs> them make sense and i was yeah. like it was blowing my mind but i got there in the end so um yeah it's good to obviously potentially somebody that's coming from abroad won't have a credit check from here so obviously getting a guarantor again can be quite a suitable option for somebody that's perhaps come from abroad whereas all their other checks work obviously are coming out fine, but you just don't have that credit check. So a guarantor can be a good way to deal with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to ask you about guarantors just uh, in, a, in, a wee, in a wee bit, but I did want to talk about um, people's identification and yeah. people being actually who they say they are and, and the proper ID checks. And I mean, identity checks um, do protect you against people um, who are actually potentially fraudsters uh, entering your property and making it easier to trace your tenant in case something goes wrong as well. So we get obviously the 
um, their identification in terms of like their passport or their, their, their driver's license. We also get their national insurance numbers and things as well if they're resident here. Um, so yeah, I mean, the best form of ID is a government issued document, whether they're in this country or they're from uh, another country, passport's a good one. Um, and uh, the, the, the driver's license as well, of course, is, is, is the two main ones. If someone doesn't have photo identification, we would always ask for maybe something like a utility bill uh, or something with their name and address on it, um, whether that's gas, electricity, or, um, landlines or internet, not mobile phones. Mobile phones are not proof of address or proof of who you are or where you, where you reside. And and the main one, obviously, is your, your actual birth certificate. We do get the odd birth certificate, not too many of them. I'd say nine times out of ten, it's either a driver's license or a passport. But we do get the odd birth certificate. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you can't argue with a birth certificate. It's it's it's, um, it's quite a good a good one as well. But passport, driver's license is the main thing for us. Now, if you're in England and Wales, this, obviously we're referring to Scotland. If you're in England and Wales, um, a right to rent check. Uh, for non-British and Irish citizens and things as a legal requirement to confirm that tenants are eligible to live in the country. So you could do that, but it's different in Scotland. So if you can't verify somebody's identif identity, don't let them move into your property. I think that is just, I mean, why would you? Um, but you would be surprised. <laughs> but that would be my solid advice. If you can't, uh, if you can't confirm that they are who they say they are, um, there's no shortage of tenants at the moment, so um, you really don't need to take any unnecessary risks. So I, I think it's really important to actually confirm that somebody is who they say they are. Exactly. Have you ever had that, Kim? Do you know, it's not something that, I think maybe there was a case years ago I dealt with, and, and, and there was one, and, and it didn't really match up. And I think that obviously we didn't, it didn't proceed. But it's not something that's too common. Um, the no, it's not something I've ever really come across, thankfully. I mean, I've had people that have like changed their names. I, mm -hmm. So obviously there's a bit more documentation that goes with that just to kind of, you sometimes need things from their previous name, their current one. So that can be a little bit more um, challenging to work around. But as long as they have the correct documentation in place to obviously support the change in it, then there's not any issues there. But yeah, thankfully I've never really come across somebody that's pretending to be someone else. Yeah. Yeah, it does happen, though. They are out there. Be very careful. I spoke about the right to rent checks in England and Wales there. We use a referencing company in Cairn, and if people are coming from overseas, we have the option to do it. It's called an enhanced reference, I believe. And, yes. Yeah. So this is one that gets in contact. It can be, it takes a while, to be perfectly honest. It is a bit more of a tricky one to do. Even, like, the company run it, but trying to keep on top of it and make sure it is getting done. It doesn't always generate an actual like typical score for somebody, but it checks like their employment, their bank details. Like it does quite a. There's different ways that it goes about it rather than just providing an actual credit score. So um, and then it'll advise whether they are suitable or not suitable following the checks that it does. But um, yeah, so it's, yeah, there's different really ways. Useful. That's really useful if somebody's coming from overseas. Um, mm -hmm. So I've got actually Jim's actually here just jumped in. I'm going to add him to the stream. Hello. I'll, run, I'll change to the bottom bit. Yeah. <laughs> How are you? But, you know, I, I just thought I'd jump in here. It's like, you know, yeah. the, there's referencing probably everything. I mean, the amount, yeah, of, yeah. the amount of mistakes that we've come across over the years. Now, mm -hmm. you know, everybody makes mistakes at some point in time. But you just get caught out with. Um, so you just become more and more vigilant about how important referencing is. And, uh, and the great thing is you're able to pick it up because you've got the wisdom and experience now of being able to, to of the minute the minutia detail of how people can actually get away with things yeah yeah you'd be surprised about how people can um be kind of like obviously get around the referencing process unless if you're not that competent in, in identifying the, the things where they're not right and the red flags like we spoke about Kim, and it, it takes yeah. it takes experience to pick up on them yeah if you get the wrong person in the first place you're you've had it because yeah, the Scottish government, obviously, the, the way, you know, the, in order to try and get someone out now, you've either got to be six months in arrears, and then yeah. it's going to be six months before you actually get a tribunal decision. Um, so it's a year without rent, if that's the case, or um, you're never going to get them out at all because you are, you're either going to have to lose your house and show financial hardship in order to get your house back in order to sell yeah. it. 
at, at the moment, more than ever, um, it's so important to have the right person in there at the beginning because the repercussions at the end, trying to bring things to an end or regain possession if you need to, is extremely difficult. Um, and we covered that slightly at the beginning. I don't know if you were watching through the start there, Jim. Um, and I mean, it is worst case scenario, but it does happen. And there's one case we've had to deal with, Jim. Um, and I mean, we had to go the full, the full length and, and, and it's a difficult process. Obviously, we have the um, skills and the tools and things to our disposal to try and guide through that. But some people that's inexperienced, like, it would be an absolute minefield for them. They wouldn't have a chance. They wouldn't no. stand a chance. I'm, 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 I mean, I was thinking about this the other day, but I'm at the point of the complete inexperience of most of the landlords mm -hmm. and what they don't understand about what they need to do. Um, I'm at the point of saying that I think every single private landlord should be forced to use a letting agent. And it's yeah. not just because it's in our self-interest to do it. No. It's the fact that it's, I think for most landlords, they don't realise it will be a blessing in disguise for them. Even the reference and credit check side of it, I mean, a, a, your typical landlord that is doing it themselves are probably not going to have access to a, a credit check scheme for it, like like what we do, and it is, it's so important. They don't know where to start, Karen. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I've had, in the past, I've had landlords when I've said, look, you know, we'll, we'll obviously find out, you know, what their previous employment was, how long they've been there, any other addresses they've been there before, we'll find out what they're earning, and then the landlord says, you can do that. <laughs> yeah. I did. I, I, I've never done that in my life. It's like I thought you weren't. I thought that was an invasion of somebody's privacy. And I'm like, oh my god, I'm giving you probably your most expensive asset outside yeah. your house for someday for the price of deposit, which is effectively about five hundred and fifty quid. Yeah, you know, almost about a hundred thousand pound house for five hundred and fifty quid, and they've got almost poor right of tenure under the current legislation. And you're telling me we can't ask any of these, you think we, could, we shouldn't ask any of these questions. It's like you're damn right we are. And that's where a lot of landlords fall uh, foul at, at the beginning because they just take people on their word and they don't actually follow up and check what they're telling them or what they're providing them is actually correct. I always remember a story about my mother, how I had my motorbike up for sale. I had it off the road because I couldn't afford to put it on the road. I, I really needed to sell it because I couldn't afford anything. I couldn't afford to keep it insured. So I kept it in the garage. So it was off the road. It was uninsured. It was a RD125. It was about a year or two years old. Um, and and my mum let the boy have a shot of it. And uh, he drove away and I never saw it again. <laughs> One and a half thousand pounds worth of bike. Yeah, and I said, what the hell did you do that for? And she says, I seem like a nice boy. Yeah. <laughs> And, but that's effectively how a lot of people do their referencing. Yeah. The same scenario. Oh, did you, oh, they just seem so pleasant. It's like I tell you what, I've had somebody has been in for 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 uh, arms, you know, for a criminal conviction for yeah. arms yeah. and robbery. Um, actually, I just found out through referencing, and I'm talking about years and years ago when I first started out, thirty years ago when it was the Wild West, you know, in terms of how you did things. <laughs> but literally, um, you know, I had his deposit, I had his first month rent, it was all paid up in advance. I was ready to set a date for him moving in. Something else happened at another house of mine, um, which is actually the one that had the roof with all the water coming in. Yeah. Okay, that one. But something yeah. happened at that one um, with the guy, and and he says there was a guy that appeared at gun and helmet at gunpoint and point. point oh, and I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. And yeah. and I went, oh, all right, okay. So so you know, do you know this guy? It's like, and he mentioned the boy's name. It's like, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> it's like. <laughs> so I just phoned him up and says, "Oh, it's uh, it's it's all changed, buddy. Um, oh, the landlords now they didn't think I was a landlord, obviously. The landlords just said, look, they've they've they're needing to take it for their daughter or something like that. So uh, it's all right, pal.' And he went, "Oh, that's magic, pal. It's like I'll, I'll, I'll get your deposit and your first month rent back to you, okay?" Uh, and then I gave him back, great. and he was he was he was nice as ninepence. But but it's the very fact it's like that story. And then when the police got involved, they corroborated it. And it's like, geez, oh, uh, how close could you come yeah. to well, that? No and pun that, intended, but you dodged the bullet. I've ever come to something like that. But yeah, so you dodged the bullet then. Well, literally. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> the picky binders. Yeah. Yeah, but that just shows you. Um, and if you take people on their merit, it's not always going to be the right thing to do. You can't, Richard. Uh, you know, you know, my, uh, th this is my years of experience and. And a lot of people just don't go against your gut. Mm -hmm. your, your sixth sense is there. You understand it completely. Um, it, 
even though all the factors are right in front of you and they're saying, all the factors are saying, this guy's got a good credit history, or this girl's got a good credit, this person wants to, this person's got a good credit history, this person's got a good job, this person, you know, this and it's that, and it's all the rest of it. And they're ticking all these boxes, but there's still something deep down, you think, you know, there's something just no right. Yeah. That, feel it. There's something. I don't know what I it is, but I've finger on it. I've gone against that for years. And mm-hmm. every single time I prove myself wrong. Yeah, Kevin, you do a lot. You I, do. I was right in the first place. I was right in the first place, and I shouldn't have gone with that decision to put them in because that's what ended up coming. Something else came out, and I thought, I'm not, I knew there was something, but I just couldn't put my finger on it. So that's why the years well, and years of yeah. experience as a letting agent, and, and admittedly, going through quite a lot of failures, but having more successes has actually led us to, to be able to do this quite rigorously. Yeah. Yeah, and Kevin, you'll be the same as well. And it's like you do we do a lot of pre-qualifying and things now, even before viewings. So we we have a we've built already built a picture of somebody and they could it could be a really good picture and they could walk through the door and you could just think, mm, no, that doesn't feel right to me. And sometimes, like you say, Jim, you might not know exactly what, but I think um your instincts and if you if you're the if you've got the right mindset and, and approach to yeah. it are usually right. Yeah, you do just get that gut, like... Mm. I'll just do a quick drive past your house. <laughs> you drive past your house, and it's like Beirut, and it's like, are you sure that's the right number? I was, we're not taking them. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one as well, Jim. If, if there's something really not sitting right with you, and they are, they have an address, a previous address that's close by, it's always worth having a, a quick look. A previous address, for, mm. for most landlords out there, if you're listening in and tuning in, my best advice is, if there's something that just doesn't sit quite right with you, and you know where they live, and it is locally, it's easy enough just to phone up uh, in the next couple of days and say, look, you know, I'm in the neighbourhood, I just want to pop in and just have a couple of further questions before I, before I, I, I you know, I obviously consider you for the tenancy. More or less saying, it's a done deal if everything's all right, and we tick the boxes. Mm. Um, but you usually find when you drop in the door, it's like it's not like you think it is. They're living in a totally different way, uh, and mm. the lifestyle that they've got, and everything's lying about, and nappies on the floor, uh, cat litter still lying about. You know, I'm talking about really bad. Uh, and then the yard, the the garden. I'm getting Americanized. The yard, the yard. <laughs> the, yard. Um, <laughs> the garden is uh, is overgrown, and then there's a whole lot of stuff like maybe old cars getting fixed up at the side, rusting away. Uh, thinking, and and I, that is one that I actually appeared with. And then I thought, no chance. Mm-hmm. And even though they ticked all the boxes. So there's another one. Um, it was up in Kennaway. That's where they were. Yeah. So it's like, and every single house in the street was absolutely beautiful. And this one was just like Beirut. And, and I, I thought to myself, thank God for that. It's, you know, after saying, oh, I live a really like good life. I keep my house, my house nice and clean and tidy. And everything's all in, in, in perfect order. And I'm really going to look after this. And, and that's what actually transpired. It's like, geez, your house is like Beirut. So I can't believe this. And yet you, but you don't discuss that with the tenant. You just don't mention that yeah. at all. You just obviously come up with some reason that why someone else is going to get it, or 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 why why you can't you can't allocate it to them. But you can't you can't be direct with something like that because it obviously causes conflict. And the next minute you could end up getting your windows panned in. Yeah, yeah, that's something to be careful. I've got a comment there. Felix has just jumped in and says he's had the same thing. Um, obviously the pre-application process everything was fine like and it looks fine and then you actually go to the viewing and the absolute opposite is what walks through the door and yeah. um and, and he went with his gut feeling and that and i would totally agree with that felix that's definitely the thing to do and it's the other one is is like the, the amount of times i used to have people walk through the door and they were stinking of booze yeah and yet on the phone they were perfect mm-hmm. and it's like oh i've just been down the pub and it's like it's 11 o'clock in the morning <laughs> it's half 11 or something yeah it's like, as if that was okay it's like, oh, there's there's definitely alarm bells ringing here. Um, it's a it's a no, it's a no, definitely not. Or they would turn up with someone else to almost almost chaperoning them, mm-hmm. and then that would that would be a telltale sign as well. Their mother's there or their friends there to help them through this process, and then you're you're like, whoa, whoa there's another story here I've not been told, and then it transpires that they're fleeing, you know, violence or something else. And I mean, there's obviously facilities and and that to help people like that. Yeah. But like. You know, can you afford to take that risk? Because you've got you're stuck with the legislation as it is now. So if anything like that happens, it's even worse for you. So financially, it's it's dire. But I would say, if anybody's like, let's get them these private landlords for saying things like that. It's like, but there's there's 
there's support services supposed to be in yeah. place for people like that in that in that circumstances. And unfortunately, a lot of the times they come to the private rental sector because we're the only people that can actually handle it. And we're the only people that have got the houses for them because yeah. the local authority and the government aren't, aren't helping or building anything or investing in any, any in, in any services or infrastructure like that. But there is a lot of vulnerable people out there in vulnerable situations. And we've got a lot of good uh, referral services uh, at our disposal for people in that situation. So I'm um, always open to obviously assist and help people if we can. But I mean, we've covered financial and employment checks and previous yeah. landlords and ID checks and things as well. But ultimately, you can either pass, fail, or maybe need a guarantor in the whole process. So, I mean, how, I mean, when we get to the end, Karen, go and break it down for us a wee bit. Yeah, so as you say, there's about three different categories that you've got there. So, pass. So, this means that your tenant's cleared all the checks, so you can get on with preparing the paperwork and arranging the move-in date. Nice and simple. We do get a pass with conditions, which brings us to the guarantor. So, this usually means a guarantor is needed to underwrite any defaults or damages which could occur during the tenancy in which the guarantor also needs to be financially checked. So again, when you've got a guarantor in place, a credit check is required. All the same checks that would be required for a typical tenant is required for a guarantor because this is a legal document that they are signing. So you have to make sure that they are also financially suitable to be signing this document along with the tenant. I was just going to say, let's explore guarantors a wee bit here. Um, because just like you're selecting the tenant and making sure they're uh, suitable, you have to do the exact same with a, with a guarantor. And if you've got somebody that's going to co-sign a lease and, and take on that responsibility, they need to be financially secure. They need to be who they say they are as well. Um, and, and that whole process has to be done correctly. We talked about the two and a half times, um, the earning two and a half times the rent for uh, a tenant. What is it for a guarantor, Kim? Three times. Three times minimum. But then again, in the current situation, I would be looking at additionally their disposable yeah. income as well because they obviously have to live as well. And if we're in a situation where we need to turn to them to subsidise the tenant, then are they going to be able to do that? And like we say, there's so many different categories in which a guarantor could be required. I mean, we touched on if somebody's starting a new job. We've had ones before that maybe a tenant's had a little bit of adverse credit. I think we've had, we have a current tenant and she's great and she pays her rent on time. The property is kept immaculate, yeah. but there was one small CCJ on her account, but it wasn't anything significant. She didn't actually know about it as well because it was a part a previous partner that I believe that had ran it up when she'd looked into it and uh, we took a guarantor for our rent and our deposit all up front as we typically would and she was a great tenant so yeah. it's not to say that people with that have maybe had a little bit of financial difficulty in the past are discounted for it but it's people that are upfront about it and it is minor yeah people <laughs> so have bumped yeah, I've also had somebody who's like, no, my credit's fine, and they have £20,000 worth of CCJs. And I was like, you're not getting this property. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. But there's, and like we've touched on as well, like if people are coming from abroad, um, guarantor could be required. So uh, there's various different circumstances. It just gives the landlord that extra bit of security and safeguard, but they do have to also be financially and credit worthy to be the guarantor. You say people coming from abroad, it's actually people coming, uh, expats coming back home eh, as well. Yeah. Well, we've had, there's been a lot of like... They don't pass credit checks or anything like that because of their, their income's abroad. Mm -hmm. um, so therefore, you have to you have to vet them as well, just in case anybody interprets that in a different way. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, uh, Jim, what's your... Sorry, Karen, then you go. There's a lot of different reasons for people coming from abroad. I mean, we've got, especially with us covering the St Andrews area, we've got a lot of students that are coming over. Like you say, expats or people that are coming. Um, we've had a lot of people that are coming and working in the healthcare sector as well that are coming in on good, strong incomes. To be honest, they've been great tenants, but obviously you just need that extra bit of security because they have just arrived in the country. And, so, uh, and, and in all honesty as well, it's we've only had to instigate and tighten this up a lot more regarding tours because of the current legislation by Patrick yeah. Harvey. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's... And, and therefore, it's become impossible to take anybody that's vulnerable, in other words, on benefits, because they can't get guarantors more than likely. So it's been impossible for us to take them when, in hindsight and before, I was actually quite happy to take uh, um, that, 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 um, that system, the housing benefit mm -hmm. and local housing allowance system. I was, I was OK with that. Um, but because they can't get a guarantor, it's actually precluded them. So the legislation is actually penalising the most vulnerable people in our society. Yeah, definitely. The way our market's going as well, just with the rise in interest rates, obviously landlords are needing every penny that they can from the rent just to basically cover their mortgage at this rate. So 
it's basically it's outpricing people that are in receipt of benefits because yeah. just the way the market's rising. That's an interesting one you should say there, uh, Ken. I'm going to just elaborate on that a wee bit so mm -hmm. people understand. Uh, I've got one property. I've got a big portfolio, um, so it doesn't matter that much. But I've got one property which is actually 550 rent, and I can only increase it by 6% at the very most. But my mortgage on it, the interest-only interest only mortgage, is now £488 a month. So literally, I'm clearing £760 a year to cover management fees, to cover repairs and improvement bills, to cover insurance for the property and everything else. I am literally making a loss on that property because of and the current situation. If you only had that or maybe two properties. Yeah, and 99% of landlords, Richard, in Scotland do have only two one or one property. properties. 94% have have uh, have one property and 90 and 5% have two properties. Yeah. And three or three or more properties is only 1% of the landlord population. So most landlords will exit the market because there's no drive anymore for them to do it. Now, I always play medium, uh, medium a long-term game. It makes no difference. Mm -hmm. I made a fair amount of money and margin in the, the up swing when the interest rates were record low. So that's fine. That could offset that as we go. And it's like what Warren Buffett says, if you're in it for the long game, it makes no difference. It swings yeah. around the right. But yeah. I would say the property price has actually increased substantially from the when I first bought it to where it is now. So there's a huge upswing in there. Yeah, you've got a good capital appreciation on the property. But um, but I think what you what the point you're trying to make, Jim, is you're you're okay because of the situation and what your end game yeah. is, or what because you've got a big portfolio and you're in it for the long game. But people that have maybe just got one or two, and that's why so many people are exiting the market. You've got no chance they'll be wiped out. Yeah, they'll be wiped out, and they don't think they realise that's going to happen. Um, I even get nervous when people say I'm going abroad and I'll rent my house for a year or two years, and then I'll come back and move into it, and I'm like. We had that no, conversation you, yesterday. You might find that the legislation means that you can't move back into it. Yeah, we had that conversation yesterday, Jim, about one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have to. we have to bear that in mind every single time. We have to bear in mind what potentially could happen because we have an erratic government, mm -hmm. you know, makes erratic decisions on the spur of the moment and, and almost like, this sounds like a good idea. This will be a vote winner. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. How it's... How it, how it's implemented and how it interacts with and how it affects people the tenant ultimately on the ground but there's oh it'll be a vote winner we'll just implement it yeah yeah i know so, so yeah, it's, almost at point, it's almost at the point now just let me just finish off there it's almost oh, at the point fine. where i would say that nearly nearly enough every single tenant that comes to us now needs a guarantor regardless mm -hmm. yeah i was getting to that point where a lot of i mean Unless they're in a really good financial position and things, and and then otherwise they're going to need a guarantor. I tell you what, it's really good as well. If you would, if you do consider universal credit and local housing loans, housing benefit to old school people. Yeah, that's what you be called. Um, so people on DSS—that's another phrase that people say. Um, if you if you are going to consider that type of person, um, for uh, its own benefits for that reason, and, and you are in that market, and that's what you want to do. Um, another really good thing to consider is even though you can't get a guarantor, you ask for a guarantor anyway, because it usually subconsciously they don't realize that they're about to give away all the things that they, you know, they've possibly been up to you don't know about. And it's and it has happened in the past where I've said, so you can get a guarantor. What about your mum or your dad? It's like they will never guarantee me ever because I, I got a loan from them two years ago of £2,000 and I've never ever paid them it back so they're no guarantee me at all and I'm like oh my god you've just given that'll, the game away that'll be the end of that. <laughs> yeah you, you do yeah. get that don't you where yeah. people actually openly admit things like that and you're like okay you never divulged that at the at the referencing stage so now 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 it's possible I know um because because they give the game away i can't get a guarantor at all is another one oh i just can't get anybody at all what no even your friends well no my friends will never guarantee me and it's like when you see that it's like whoa there's got to be something i don't know then that's a that's a red flag straight away yeah, yeah it's knowing the right questions to ask during this process to find yourself the most suitable tenant because ultimately you will have people that will feel it and it might not be on it might just be on one merit that they've not passed the reference in but it can be enough to fail the reference and process for them and then miss out on the property. And as we've covered, there's that much demand for rental properties just now. So it's not worth taking somebody that does have red flags. It's good to ask the questions and just let people talk. because People will open up and tell you so much without even thinking about it. Um, so listening is a good, a good 
part uh, of the... David, actually, there's a really good point there, David Sinclair. He's got a letting agency over in the Edinburgh yeah. area, I think it is, David. Um, mm. I had a very bad experience with a tenant who was well presented. And it transpired, however, that he had a significant gambling problem. Um, we now ask for um, for and scrutinise any prospective tenants' uh, last three bank statements, which is a yeah. good one to do, actually, to confirm uh, that they're uh, separate, uh, spending their income, how they're spending their income. Um, an excellent podcast, by the way. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Um, but but it's a good subject to talk about. It's, it's a subject that a lot of people, and it is the first, dare I say it's almost the first line of defence, you know, mm -hmm. or the second line of defence, the advert filters a lot of people out, then then the, the referencing will filter a lot of people out as well. And mm -hmm. that's why it's something like, oh, this statistic was crazy. It's something like 268% for a landlord more likely to be in arrears with a tenant if they self-manage than have a letting agent. This is why I say I think the Scottish government should implement it, the every single landlord must use a letting agent. Because I don't think landlords realise, I don't think landlords realise how important it is for them to be protected. Um, you just don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. But because we're in this field and I've been in it for so long, I now realise the huge amount of benefits that landlords would have actually been forced almost to use a letting agent because if you've got, remember all letting agents are qualified in Scotland, it's yeah. mandatory by law, so they know, um, but obviously you'd look for one with track record and experience and, you know, have gone through all these processes and understand what you should be doing and all the wee, all the wee intricacies about, you know, you, you just learn them on the job, like what yeah. we've done over the years. Um, and you learn what to do. But that's why it's so important that they would, they would do that because they would probably save on rent arrears. They would probably they'd probably get a better a better return because their occupancy rate would more than likely be higher. They'd probably get a better quality tenant as well. Um, and, and I think all these three factors will actually increase, which would probably offset the cost of paying for a, a, a letting agent anyway, yeah. uh, by running rather than actually running it themselves. Uh, so I've not got a political agenda to do this, by the way. This is just my thought process. So I'm not lobbying the government. So if anybody thinks it's like <laughs> torches, it's like, this guy's on the government side. It's like, no, I'm not lobbying anybody for that. But I do think there's a huge benefit to using the right letting agent. Yeah, I would agree. And like you say, it's not to push your own agenda. And because that's what we do, I just, even more so now, I see the benefit for everyone who's letting property unless you've got the time to really stay up to, to speed on what's what and what's the, the correct way to do things, you really need an agent doing it for you. Because yeah. I know how much time, effort and resource we put in and money we put into training to make sure we know what to do. Well, and Felix, look what Felix says. I had a fact find with someone that was applying and they, they said they were applying because they were being evicted. <laughs> red flag, hello, yeah. red yeah. flags, brass band up and down the street. It's like, this is a warning sign. It's like, what have you been evicted for? Oh, well, I wasn't really looking after my property. I was damaging it or I'm in rent arrears. It's like, all right, okay, so we're going to take you then. I don't think so. Yeah. So, I mean, the referencing process, I mean, they either pass or they're moving your guarantor or they've got conditions and things. But I mean, what if they, what if they fail the, the referencing check then, Kevin? You have to avoid renting to people that fail. Um, ultimately, they can't if they can't provide a suitable guarantor and there's other checks that they've not, being able to fulfill either you do have to ask yourself obviously this could break the terms of your mortgage and invalidate your insurance so it's just not worthwhile mm. unfortunately when take as harsh as it sounds it's not worth taking the risk it's not you need somebody that is as financially stable credit worthy and as suitable as can be you are trying to find yourself the best tenant because ultimately this is your most valuable investment that you have it's a home for you for potentially could have been your home at some point but this is your investment now so you have to protect it by putting the right tenant in and I think obviously just to kind of like wrap up my perspective on it it's not about putting the first person in it's about putting the right person in. There's no point in taking the risk especially when there's such an abundance of really good tenants out there at the moment. It's interesting that you said that Karen about that it's not about putting the first person in when some landlords actually do feel under pressure to actually earn income on the property. And they 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 really do want the pressure of uh, you know on on us. In the past. We've seen it happen in the past where they've tried to say, look, we need to get somebody in, we need to get somebody in, we need to get somebody in, and it's like we're not putting them in, we can't put them in. Mm -hmm. It's like you're going to put this person in, and it's all going to go pear shaped. And it's going to be even worse for you. You're literally setting yourself up for failure here. 
So we're not putting them in for that reason. Um, and it so can work it, out financially worse for you in the and, long run because ultimately if you've put that person in for the week, potentially two weeks that you could have waited and found the right person, yeah. the money that that could accrue you in damages going forward or unpaid rent, it's not worth it. It's, it's Sometimes it's though it's driven by they buy a, a rundown property in uh, a, a poor area, you know, an area which is actually a very challenged area and um, because they get it so cheap um, and Usually, typically, they're sold this by courses that are run, you know, by so-called property gurus, furus, I would call them. And um, that's why that, that's why they think it's an easy gig. So they get something that £39,999, so they avoid the ADS. They spend five grand on tarting it up, but they don't realise that it's at £39,999 because no one else wants to buy it because it's, in a, it's either in a hard-to-let area or it's in an area that most people probably wouldn't want to stay. Because of, the, yeah. because of the systematic problems or the building itself has got something fundamentally wrong with it somewhere else in the block that they don't know about and that's what's that's why it's at that price point for that reason. So be very, very aware. I mean, we're crossing into, obviously, investment strategies and that, but yeah. be very, very aware. It's at that price point for a reason. And in markets like this, where it's extremely buoyant, because I've followed this path before in the early days and it, and it worked for me, um, but... Um, I was big enough, so when the lean times did come for these types of properties, and some of these properties were actually sitting empty for six months, nine months, um, yeah, I was able to just say, yeah, it's okay, that's fine, I'm happy to wait, uh, I'm okay with that. Um, it will turn, I've seen it all before, um, and and so I understand the patterns of behaviour in the market mm -hmm. and how things work in terms of the rental market and also how the sales market affects the rental market and vice versa, and that's what gives us the experience and expertise and the wisdom to be able to make these decisions on behalf of the landlords, but some of them just don't get it. Very few though. And then that's when it's like, nah, you shouldn't be with us. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, if you don't, if you don't understand your, our mentality and you don't trust us to do this, this manage the management of this property isn't going to go well because yeah. when there's times that we make a decision, you're gonna you're gonna overrule that and we're gonna come to loggerheads about it. So mm -hmm. we're not gonna be taking you on as a landlord. Or yeah. you can have your property back. It's like, no, if you're, not, yeah. if you're not investing in this property and you can't afford to do that, we're not managing your property. That's not our business. We're not We're not that type of letting agent. Yeah, definitely not. Um, I, I, that's, that's, I would and then they take the social media and go, these people uh, buy properties, they're <laughs> this and they're that and all the rest of it. And it's like no fair. And it's like, they've done this and they've done that. And people go, oh, well, name and shame them. Name and shame them. And they go, no, no, I'm not wanting to name and shame them. And it's like, I know why you're no naming and shaming. Because I'll come on and tell you something different, and then I'll put yeah. you in your place. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But I think if, if you're if you're a landlord and you're using a letting agent, or if you're if you're a landlord investor and you're you are self managing, you really need to back to the reference side of things. Look at your referencing process. How does your referencing process hold up? Because making the right checks is so important, and we've covered a lot of them today. And if you don't feel like you're covering these these sections, or or even your agent's not covering all of this, then that you're going to have an issue. So I would be I would be quite upfront with your agent and say what do you actually do? They, they should tell you anyway. I mean, can we make it quite clear to all our landlords? Yeah, when we're carrying out our appraisals, we explain all that process and what we do initially. Yeah, yeah and I think uh, between ourselves and obviously and, and your feedback there, Jim, has really reinforced the importance of that for the entirety of the tenancy and the importance of making your investment or your or your buy to let property. The best it can be i'm looking after it's, your biggest your biggest asset outside your own home really absolutely most important thing now right now because of the yeah. current legislation that is the most important thing and felix and uh, david get that completely because they're experienced i was just going to thank you felix and david for jumping in with their comments um and uh, participating keeps it interactive but this if you're on the, the playback guys please you could jump in anyway and watch this on the youtube and things and put the comments or like I said, through that, if people are unsure, my direct email will be in the blog that's attached to it. Speak to myself, you can speak to Kim. We'd be happy to help anyone who's unsure about what there's, actually I tell you what, Richard, there's no many people that would give direct access to the lettings director. You usually find, <laughs> well, honestly, you usually find in most letting agencies, they avoid, everybody tries to avoid them getting in touch with the, the person that's the running person, the show. Yeah. And, and it's because this person is so overwhelmed by everything that they can't cope because they're having to firefight all the time. Mm -hmm. 
So it's an, it's it's quite, and I'll say it. We you've always done it, but it's, and, yeah. and I've always done it to a degree as well in the beginning. Um, it's quite unusual to actually get direct and direct contact with the people actually making the decisions. Yeah. Um, but then I am still a big part of the, the, the forefront of lettings and and involved yeah, in the day as well. So I get it, but it's a it's a great benefit for a lot of people out there to actually have that contact, but in that peace of mind. I think that's you know, I, I, but it's enjoyable to actually educate people and and show them the right way to do things in lens. And that's that's basically how I feel anyway. And I think if you if you don't have that kind of mentality or approach, then maybe you shouldn't be doing lens. But anyway, that's yeah. just my opinion. But um, but that's us for this morning, guys. Um, thanks for chatting in, Jim. Obviously, your insights are always helpful because you've got years and years of experience. And Kevin, thanks for breaking down the whole referencing process for us. Um, I know that it's something that you do daily um, and it is so important. So thanks for sharing that with us. Mm-hmm. And thanks to everybody for joining in the comments. And that's us. Until next time, Jim, we're doing the web creation show on Monday. We are doing Monday, six, ways to boost, to, six ways to boost your income. That's uh, Monday, 12.30. And you'll catch, Ooh, Jim the, you'll catch Jim on the update Sunday, 7.30. Okay. Perfect. Right, guys. I'll catch you later. Okay. Bye. Bye.